chance to catch up with an old friend during this episode of Unbeatable. Bobby Cox and I started serving together in the same units in the military back to back for several years and I got a chance to know him and know his family and I watched this army officer's career take off like a rocket ship and where it ends up today is going to impress you. It's going to surprise you. But during this episode, Bobby says that there was one piece of advice, one very simple piece of advice, his first job in the Army that has stayed with him and made him wildly successful in almost everything that he's done today. You got to hang in there to hear this one piece of advice from my friend, Congressman Bobby Cox on this episode of Unbeatable. Before we get into the interview with Bobby, I want to just say thank you to the folks at the Solomon Foundation for being the sponsor for this episode. If you're looking for something to do with your money that will give you an excellent return on your money, but also make an eternal impact, just go check these folks out at the Solomon Foundation. Go take a look at thesolomonfoundation.org. Now here's my conversation with my friend, now Congressman Bobby Cox. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Congressman Bobby Cox, thank you for taking a few minutes out of your schedule to do this interview with me today. Hey, it's great to be here. And when one of your heroes asks you to be on a podcast, you got you to answer the call. So th- it's great to see you, Jeff. I think it actually works the other way around. I'm getting the chance to interview a guy who I would consider a hero. Um, I love the fact that I get a chance to call you as a friend, Congressman Cox, because you and I have talked about this uh, more than a time or two. So I'm going to start where you are today. And then what I want to do with the listeners is go back in time a little bit. Um, Let's talk about when you and I first met. And just to honor that, by the way, I'm wearing the shirt from uh, 2nd Ranger Battalion when we first met way out in the Pacific Northwest early in the war in, on terrorism. Um, and we That's had right. a chance to serve together. That was not long. Well, it was your kind of your second assignment after graduating from the Citadel. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So graduated ROTC from the Citadel. You know, my senior years when uh, 9-11 happened, so that really solidified my desire to go into the, to the Army and, and do my part and uh, was able to go to the 101st Airborne Division as a platoon leader, right. which is a great, yeah. great first assignment to grow up and then got picked up to go to the 2nd Range Battalion, which was just a fantastic opportunity and, you know, an incredible unit and set the foundation for really my success and career. Therefore, uh, and here we are now. Yeah. So, yeah. And I got to meet you, of course. Well, no, no, it's the other way around. Uh, you and I got a chance to work together a lot in 2nd Ranger Battalion because this was a period of time when that unit was gone all over the world, almost continuously. We didn't get, neither one of us got a chance to spend a lot of time with our families during that assignment. It was, um, but you, and that's totally true, but you really felt like, you know, the missions you were doing, you could see, see the strategic impact 
and just the, um, I mean, I, I really felt like that's where God wanted us to be at that time, you know, and it was very fulfilling. And like I said, we, we took those lessons learned and went out back into the army and it's an incredible time, high adventure. And you just learned a lot about yourself. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I know you're not going to brag about yourself, so I'm going to do a little bit of bragging <laughs> about you. You didn't just graduate from the Citadel. I think if I remember correctly, I know where your class rank was. Where did you <laughs> rank when you graduated from the Citadel? Well, so, you know, it's a, it's a cadet system, so it's a regiment, you know, and so uh, each year you get the opportunity to, you know, try all different leadership opportunities. It's a leadership laboratory, yeah. you know, especially on a college level. And I was able just to, to, to continue to rise through the cadet ranks. And my senior year, I was the regimental commander, which is, a you know. A pretty big deal for anybody commander. who doesn't know what he's talking about right now. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, I mean, a fantastic opportunity, a humbling opportunity to, as a senior in, in college to have that experience, yeah. to be over 2,000 of your peers. Um, and then during that formative time, like I said, of 9-11, to lead the school and to, you know, try to motivate people, keep everyone together. It was it was a, a time that I would not trade, and, and I really value it now looking back. Yeah. It was just an incredible opportunity. Yeah. There's some people so. listening that don't remember what life was like before September 11, 2001. You do. I do. Because you joined the Citadel before the global war on terrorism. And... Honestly, you're South Carolina born and bred through and through. The Citadel makes sense, but there was nothing really pulling people into the military before September 11th. So what was it that caused you to say, hey, I think I want to try ROTC at the Citadel. Why the yeah. U.S. Army? So I've been, my family's kind of a military family. My dad was a, a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. He flew Hueys. Uh, my uncle was an airborne ranger. He was a company commander in Vietnam with the uh, 101st. And so I grew up hearing their stories. My, my great-grandfather or my grandfathers were in World War II. My, one was a glider pilot. One served with Patton. So it was just one of those, you know, kind of family business aspect. And so they were feeding me stories. And I was like, man, this is something that's bigger than yourself. It gives you a purpose. So I want to go, go to the Citadel. I didn't know I really wanted to go in, but I went to the Citadel to test that desire and to grow and to challenge myself. And like I said, you know, when 9-11 happened, it was like, this This is something I have to do, yeah. you know? Like so many other people, you know, out there during that time, we, I had to go in because I knew good men and women were going overseas in harm's way. And I wanted to stand with them and lead them if given the opportunity, which I was able to, yeah. which is a great honor, so. Well, what you just described for people that don't know, m recent military history, you just described the who's who of the military, the 101st in Vietnam, the gliders in Europe, yeah. Patton's Third Army. Yeah. Man, if your family comes from that kind of stock, you're that's kind of uh, military royalty in the U.S. military. No wonder you would end up being, uh, you know, very successful in a highly elite, very, very competitive job at Second Ranger Battalion. Um, and you, you you handled it extremely well, man. Um, I got a chance to watch you in training and watch your platoon on the battlefield. And wow, I was impressed with you as a leader. Thank you. Yeah, it was, like I said, I, was, I always wanted, you know, being a South Carolina guy, like you said, I always wanted to go in the Ranger Regiment, but I wanted to go to Second Battalion because it was out in the Northwest. I'd never been there. It just worked out with the timing and the assignments that it just, 
it was, it was just a great opportunity. Yeah. So it was, it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> Bobby, you, you left second Ranger battalion and then went to the opposite corner of the United States to the Southeast corner of the U S to what is now known as Fort Moore, Georgia. And here's the deal, man. I just shamelessly followed you on one side of the country to the other um, and followed <laughs> you to Ranger School in Fort Moore, Georgia, yeah. um, where you and I had a chance to wa uh, work a little bit and I had a chance to watch you teach the future generation of leaders in the US military. Describe uh, life in Georgia for a little bit. Yeah, so my wife's from Atlanta. She's a Georgia peach. So we've always wanted to, you know, we're, we were drawn to, you know, Benning at the time, now more, you know, Fort Moore. And so um, being from a Citadel background, I really wanted to kind of, you know, teach at Ranger School, you know, kind of give back. And um, and so we went to the basic or the uh, uh, captain's career course, uh -huh. and there were some slots available to be, you know, a platoon trainer at Ranger School. And I said, let's, let's do this. Let's do this for a couple of years, have some good training time. Because we've been, like you said, we've been deployed nonstop for the last, you know, yeah. yeah. So it was a great, great opportunity to kind of have some family time, but also train and still give back. And so it, it was, it was fantastic. I took all the lessons learned from the Citadel, all the pain that I got and was able to give it to the, <laughs> yeah, the Ranger students to, to motivate them. And, uh, you know, but during that time, you got to do some incredible schools. Like we had Jumpmaster, we had Pathfinder. Could have gone to scuba if you wanted to compete in best ranger so you got to see the premier you know units yeah. come through there and train and and the the, the faces of the of the, you know future leaders of, of of the army and really the dod that yeah. would come through there and just have a little part in it you know to, to influence that so that was that was an awarding assignment uh, which really opened up a lot of opportunities down the road but man that was that was just a good time and some great churches down yeah. there. You got to you got to spend some time with uh, you know worshiping. So it was all in all, it was just a great assignment. Yeah, I, was, I went. I, I just wanted the so. listeners to know. I like I shamelessly followed you and Jocelyn, your wife, <laughs> from the Pacific Northwest yeah. down to the southeast part of the United States, just because I love serving with you, man, and and had a chance to serve yeah, with yeah. you in two units, <laughs> almost back to back. That's right. Um, That's right. After yeah. that, you uh, go on to the 82nd Airborne Division and spend some time there. Um, so let's talk about North Carolina. So, you know, I've always wanted to command an airborne company. That was kind of my desire when I went into the, uh, one, to go with the Ranger Regiment, and two, to command an airborne company. And I didn't really know what I was going to do after that. And so from Fort Benning, Fort Moore now, um, you have a little bit of opportunity to kind of influence where you go for assignment-wise. So that was one of the benefits of teaching at Ranger School as well. And they had Alaska open and they had Fort, Fort Bragg open. And so I knew I was going to deploy wherever. I really wanted to go to Alaska. But I was like, I'm, I'm not going to be in Alaska. Jocelyn's going to be in right. Alaska. So why don't I pick, pick an assignment that's close to family since we're from South Carolina? She's from Georgia. So why not, you know, turn, you can't turn down the opportunity to go serve in the 82nd as a company commander. So showed up there as a, um, you know, I'm thinking I'm Ranger qualified. Jumpmaster, Pathfinder, I'm going straight into a company. And then my uh, brigade commander is like, oh, you're pretty qualified. You're going to be our brigade F3 Air for the first, for the first year. You know? uh, so, of course, it's, uh, you know, as a, as a rare and to go, you know, captain, yeah. I'm like, ah, but just, just the, the ability to see the entire brigade and all the battalions and help them out with air movement and planning jumps, that, you know, that was really something that really benefited my Jumpmaster knowledge, but also leadership ability and, and the airborne you know, division. And so we deployed a course to Iraq um, and then took a company downrange there 
first, uh, uh, Alpha Company uh -huh. first to the 505th. And it was just an incredible unit. I mean, it was already a high-performing unit, and all I had to do was just manage the talent and keep that high yeah. performance going. And we were highest reenlistment. We were just a cool company to be a part of. People just, the culture there was just great. And it's just, um, you know, being a successful company commander in 82nd was, was a, a premier highlight, especially especially downrange was, was amazing. So that was a great assignment. For everybody who's watching this on YouTube, they can see in the on the wall behind you, the kind of one of the highlights of your career, move your head to the left or to the right, just a little bit so that they can see that entire company guide on. Yeah, it's great. Um, yep. And what you just listed really from the 101st Airborne in Kentucky to second Ranger Battalion to Ranger School to now the 82nd Airborne Division in North Carolina. Man, this is as high um, honors. This is as, uh, you know, as uh, challenging and also as rewarding uh, of an assignment that anyone's going to get in the military. You, you get a chance to get a lot of them, man. Um, I'm trying to set up for the listener right now. Like this guy has it all going on. And he's really had it all going on. He's been really, really um, uh, talented and had a lot going for him since long before you started as a, a cadet at the Citadel. But man, uh, by this point in your career, there is no limit. And I'm not exaggerating right now. There is no limit to where you can go next. So would you talk us through the decision that you make to take the next assignment because you take a turn that most guys would not take and do something very different next. Um, talk about what happens after uh, commanding that company in North Carolina. So you're talking about uh, Capitol yeah. Hill? Or, why, or why, yeah. why Washington, D.C.? Why Capitol Hill? What <laughs> were you thinking, Bobby, is really what I want people to hear. Yeah, so... You know, the, there's so many credible opportunities in the Army. I mean, we have all these fellowship programs and incredible units to serve in. And so when I was downrange with the 82nd, I, I just started to research things of what, what should I do next? Like, what's, what's another challenge for myself? Should I go get an MBA or go to law school or continue down, you know, the, the, the uh, infantry officer track with, you know, going back to regiment or trying out for another special, you know, mission unit or something? Um, and so I came upon this this army message that was sent out, and he's like, "Hey, fellowship opportunities available." I said, "What is this?" And they were incredible, incredible path pathways. One was Harvard, one was Georgetown, but the one that really resonated to me was you could go get a master's at George Washington, and then serve on Capitol Hill as an actual staffer for a congressman or senator. And and for some reason, I had always had this desire to kind of look at the political world, kind of be interested in that. It was, it was you know, uh, something I was potentially may do down the road. But I said, hey, this just like the Citadel, this is an opportunity to test it out and see, you know, what, what happens in the halls of government at Capitol Hill and try to help out. So I applied, and they take about 20 every year. So it's very selective. And I, I got picked up to do it. And uh, it was just, um, it was great. So, and, and, and honestly, uh, you get to wear civilian clothes for like yeah, three years. Even so you better, be right? You don't have to wear that uniform <laughs> on Capitol Hill. Uh, a, yeah, that's right. So it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, so you, you go to get a master's essentially in political science. So you learn how the Capitol Hill works. And then you get assigned, like I said, to either a House or Senate. 
And for some reason, I really lobbied to try to get on the Senate side. And I was able to get into a, a Georgia senator, uh, Saxby Chambliss at the time, uh -huh. who was heavy in defense, heavy, you know, foreign relations, right down, you know, heavy intelligence committee. So right down in my, what I was really interested in, you know. And so this, as an Army major at the time, the, the access and the influence that you got to see go on was very eye-opening. Yeah. I mean, we saw world leaders come through there. I would take people on trips. I, I got to meet Benjamin Netanyahu personally, you know, all these different people uh, as an Army major. And so you just got to see how Congress and Senate worked, and it just really opened up my eyes to an entire different world that I was not used to as a company commander in the 82nd, you know? So it's, uh, it was very, very maturing for me, very, very eye-opening. So it was, it was a good assignment. I want everybody to hear, it's almost, too, uh, it's almost impossible to exaggerate too much how highly competitive this would have been. And there's no question that if I were the guy making the decision about who I'm going to choose, one of those 20 would be you, just because of your background. And I mean, like, look at all that this guy has accomplished in the Army at this point in his career. Bobby, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, had you stayed on active duty as an infantry officer doing those kind of normal pathways that you just described, there's, there's no limit to how, how high you would have risen in the military. So when you make the decision to go to Washington, DC, George Washington University, do a degree and work for Senator Chambliss, man, wow. Um, that was a very, very different path than most of your peers would have taken. And this is probably a good time to talk about how amazing Jocelyn is, because uh, I've had a chance to know <laughs> oh, you guys yeah. for a long, long time. Um, I think yep. she's an amazing woman, um, but she's been, you know, she's been loyal and she's been helpful and she's been right by your side through all of these army careers, as well as the hard work that you're doing right now, both in politics and in the business world. So tell everybody how amazing yeah. Jocelyn and your children are. Uh, so, you know, I do a lot of public speaking now and I always, I always make the effort to recognize Jocelyn and my family because I, you know, I, would not be here without her, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. When I actually, when I got promoted to captain, um, I, I thanked everybody, you know, everyone in the formation, you know, everyone, everyone, and I totally forgot Jocelyn. And so I was like, you know, that was never going to happen again, you know. So anytime I get the opportunity to praise her, it's, it's great. So we dated when we were in college. And so she's been there from cadet yeah. days, you know, training, all the deployments, all the moves, and even now, as we enter into a new, you know, a new uh, stage of service, you know, in politics now, he's been there the whole time. And she's um, so supportive, you know, a godly woman. I mean, just the definition of, of just a, a just a, a credible helper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and of course, you know, as most watch, she's smaller than me. She could probably be more su successful than me. But, you know, she does what I, I'm able to do what I do because right. of her. She's, she's just amazing. So, yeah. For sure. I always take the time to thank a, a veteran service member for their service to the country. Bobby, I have the greatest respect for you, man. Thank you. But for Jocelyn, having the chance to get to know you guys personally, see you guys, you know, as a family for years, man, I've got the, yeah. uh, the utmost respect for her too. And everything that you said about her is absolutely true. Please remind her how thankful I am for her sacrifices that she's made, incredible sacrifices 
for our country, not just for you and for the military, but for our country as a yeah. whole. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll definitely pass that along to her. And she would have been okay staying in for 30 years. I mean, she loved being an Army wife and, uh, you know, loved the community and everything. So, But we're still serving in a different yeah. way, you know, yeah. which, is, which is great. Um, so at a point that the last time that we had a chance to sit down and spend some time together, me, you, and Jocelyn, I think I met you guys in D.C. You were currently working that fellowship job, which is a dream yeah. come true for most people that have any interest in politics. And then the, the part of this episode that I really want to focus on for a few minutes is you guys made a very, very courageous decision. Look, man, I could talk about your, your, your career in the army. I could talk about your courage on the battlefield for hours. But there's something that you guys decided that, frankly, many couples in your position would have said, you know what? There's just too many unknowns. It's way too scary. Let's just stick with what we know, even uh, no matter how difficult it is. I want you to take us back to the conversations when you and Jocelyn started talking about what about if I leave the military active duty and start to pursue uh, a life outside of the military and start to pursue politics? Because I know, and anybody who's done that knows, but most of the listeners just don't understand how incredibly scary that conversation, that, that moment is. Yeah. I mean, it was very nerve wracking. I mean, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of prayer, a lot of, you know, doubt. And, um, you know, the army was all I had ever known for my entire adult life. That was the only job real, you know, real job I had after college. Um, you know, every, you could stay in as long as you were still focused. So, I mean, you could do a career 20 years, um, and, and, and you know what you're doing, you're getting, you know, you're getting assignments, that kind of thing. And so, and we were enjoying it. We were, like you said, we were part of some great units being, being successful. And so, but that assignment in DC opened my eyes up to other ways to serve. And so Joss and I started to think like, Hey, maybe we need to get back home. Maybe, maybe there's another opportunity to serve in another way. And even those assignments are supposed to be broadening assignments. So a lot of people don't get out from them. They're supposed to, you're supposed to, you know, grow, mature, get a strategic, you know, influence and exposure, and then go back to the force and take that with you. And so when I brought that up, like, hey, I'm going to transition out, even, even the command was, was cold shoulder. You know, uh -huh. they, there was a lot of guilt there. They're like, hey, you're giving up on the army. You know, you know, you have so much potential. Even it was in talks with the Ranger Regiment of going back as well. Um, and so it was just, it was, you know, there was some doubt of like, am I doing the right, right. thing? But the, but the, once we got back home, the doors started to open up with opportunities, with service, with, with the job that I currently have, the success of elections. And so now it's like, wow, God, God really has set that, that path for us. And we took, we went on faith and, and it worked out. And so it was very nerve wracking because I was at 13 years. I mean, who gets out of 13 yeah, years, right. you know? Um, so, yeah. And I know so. that the listeners are sitting there thinking to themselves, wait a second, man, this guy's career in the army took off like a rocket ship and there's no limit to where he can go. You've already proved that in some of the most difficult and demanding jobs, which means you're going to be rewarded for what you've already done for the rest of your career. And then you sit down and tell your wife, hey, listen, what if we let go of the security blanket that the United States Army has been providing for us for our entire marriage and my whole adult life? 
I call it the whoopee. What if we let our whoopee go and step away from the army? Now you're still serving and I want everybody to know that you're still serving faithfully in the army reserves um, part-time, but man, the, the courage to say, I think I'm willing to leave an army career at 13 years when you were already on a fast track to the top. That is no joke, man. That's really the reason why you're on this episode today. And I gotta, uh, I, I never got a chance to ask you this before, but I'd love to know how those conversations with Jocelyn went and her side of the conversation, because you're asking her to give up a lot to follow you and to follow this new dream that you have. Yeah. Well, you know, she's, she's very supportive. Um, you know, and I've, I get anxious and restless because I want to do so much and everything. So she's a calming factor of like, Hey, let's, let's actually look at the effects of Dial this. Dial it back a little bit. She's the one that Dial it back. Dial yeah, it back. Bring, okay. bring it down. Yeah. Bring it down a little bit. And so, I mean, I just went to her and I said, Hey, I, after seeing this world that I've been a part of the last three years, I, I was like, I think we need to go and serve somewhere else. And, and she, she's very, she trusts in my judgment. If I, if I prayed about it, if I, analyzed it, looked at it, because she knows I have the, the best intentions of doing as much good as we can, but also taking care of the family as well. And so those aspects were there. And she, um, and she said, where you go, I'll go and vice versa. And uh, so it was, it was nerve wracking, but we had, we knew one day we were going to get out of the army. And so we're like, why not take control of our destiny now? We're at a good pivot point with, with the influence and the relationships we built, the exposure. This is a good time to get home, set up roots in a place that we always wanted to move back to here in, here in Greenville, South Carolina, and go ahead and start that part of our life because we always knew we were going to do that. And so uh, we uh, we made that decision, and it uh, it's it's been it's been great. And it really has for the listener out there, you're getting incredibly <laughs> uh, helpful advice right now. If you're sitting in this job and you've been successful but you're just not satisfied and you think, man, there's something else that I'd like to do, but I, I know what I'm getting right now and I've been good at what I've been doing right now. And if I step into something totally new, I don't know how it's gonna turn out. It may be an absolute disaster. And many people, Bobby, you already know this, when they get to that point, they just decide, you know what? I'm gonna stay with what I got, even though it's not satisfying me, I'm going to stay with what I got because going somewhere else, doing something different when I've been this successful is really too scary. So I'm just going to stay with what I got. And I got mad respect for you and for Jocelyn for making the decision you made when you made it at the point that you were in your military career. Now we're talking way on the other side of it, but when you were having those conversations, there were no guarantees <laughs> that this wasn't going to blow up in your face, right? I know. Oh, totally. I mean, cause you know, and, and people that stay in for 20, 30 years, it's, it's an honorable, it's an honorable path, you know, but sometimes you kind of know it's time to transition. And, um, but like you said, I'd never had a, a real job, you know, outside of the army. Um, and so I didn't know if I was going to be successful, you know, would I have what it takes? I mean, you know, cause I'd been so good at this one role for so long that does that translate over you know, I don't even know what to do with VA things. So it's like, so I've been able to get all those lessons learned and, and pass them on to other people. Yeah. You know, I'll get, I'll get people like, yeah, I'm transitioning out. I'm like, Hey, here's what you need to look, look out for, you know, because people only get out of the army once, 
you know, usually. And so you don't really get those lessons learned because they're already gone, you know? And so, uh, so I've, I've tried to give, give back in that way, but, um, but I've learned, and you've probably discussed this on your show before, but there's some core principles that made me successful in the Army that I've been able to carry over into the business world, politics, you know, everything. So, you know, if you, if you keep good at the basics and apply those to, to the roles that you're, that you're doing, a lot of times you're going to be successful as well. You know, so that's, that's worked out for me here in my hometown. I hope everybody heard that, but in case they missed it, I, I want you to go back and tell them what you just said a second ago about how being good at the basics in the army actually translates somewhere else as scary as it might be. Can you mention that one more time for the person that's driving and just oh, yeah. missed that one from you? Yeah, no problem. Um, I just, you know, a lot of people ask about, you know, what made you successful in the army? What makes you successful now in a different phase of life? And really, it's just a, you know, kind of common principles that if you if you master the common principles and the basics in the army um, of being of leadership, being a good person, you know, values, ethics, and then you carry that over and that work ethic over into the into the real world outside of the army, there's a, they translate pretty well. You know, one of, one of my the best advice that I got when I showed up to the 101st, uh, I reported in, talked to my XO company XO. And I, and I thought he was going to give me this big speech of accountability of equipment, all this kind of stuff. He's like, hey, man, he's like, bottom line, just just be a good dude here. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, just treat people how you want to be treated, do the right thing, have a positive attitude, um, you know, and just and, and just have motivation and just do the right thing and just take take care of your people. Be a good dude. And I've carried that throughout every relationship, every every job. I come in, I'm respectful, I'm motivated, I'm happy to be there. I'm, you know, so, and, it, and that has really carried over where people want to serve with people like that, you know, whether it be in business or in the army. And so that's, uh, that's one of the core principles I've carried over into everything that I've done. I, just be a good dude. I just wrote <laughs> down that genius piece of leadership advice that will work in literally any environment, any profession, any walk of life for anyone anywhere in the world. Just go be a good dude wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, and pretty much the rest of the stuff will start to take care of itself. Now, maybe you're not going to be yeah. as wildly successful as Bobby was after leaving the military, <laughs> but it will never go wrong if you just be a good dude no matter where you're at or what you're doing. So let's talk about the job at Sig Sauer, one of the biggest and one of the most well-respected gun companies in the world. Because um, when, when you said be successful, I know, but it's time for the listener to know just how successful you were after you left the military. Uh, talk about getting to going to work for Sig and then describe yeah. what you're doing for them now and the level that you're yeah. leading at Sig now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, during the Capitol Hill Fellowship, we would do a lot of oversight visits with uh, congressional staff and congressional members. And um, you would have a certain portfolio that you would focus on. And so I was given the portfolio of Army uh, weapons, ammunition, equipment. And so I would take these congressional trips to all the small arms facilities in the United States. Because you maybe, um, maybe you know a thing or two about some of that stuff, right? <laughs> maybe you learned to pick up right. a thing or two along the way. Sure. Go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, um, you know, and usually it's an infantry guy that's in that yeah. role because like you said, they just have that experience and, you know, being in the, in the regiment and 82nd, all that, it's a little bit more exposure. 
And so I, I took all these trips, would take these groups of congressmen to make sure the industrial base was good and supplying our weapons to the U.S. military, um, ammunition as well. And so on one trip, I got to visit every single small arms manufacturer in the United States. Wow. Colt, Smith & Wesson, Beretta, Glock, FN, um, you name it, um, the Ruger. And then finally, the last uh, trip that we went on, the last place we visited was Stig Sauer. That's the cherry on the top, and, uh, right? That was the cherry on the top. And I, I, there was just something about the culture there. It was almost like a special operations culture where, you know, a third of the workforce is military. And so the lingo, the, the drive, the, the desire to serve something bigger than themselves, not taking credit for successes, um, it, it, was, it was very apparent there. And so I knew there was something different about this company. And so I, I just stayed in contact with them. And then I, I remember coming home to my to Jackson, my wife, and saying, Stig Sauer is a dream place to work. I'm like, I'm going to see if I can ever work in a wow. place like that. And it, and it, we just, we just meshed. And then, you know, they, they approached me one day and they're like, Hey, we're looking for a Bobby, they, no joke. They say, we're looking for a Bobby Cox kind of guy. For real? They said, well, said you know, that language um, to you? And they didn't mean the Atlanta Braves <laughs> general manager, Bobby not, Cox. Not the, they were talking about the, you, not, Bobby Cox. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So I had, I had gone to work for another great company right after the Army called Milliken. And uh, it was a uniform company. Uh -huh. And it's great. It's, it's in my it's my local town here. And they, they came to me on one conference, Sig Sauer, and they're like, hey, we're looking for a guy like you. We're looking, we're calling it the Bobby Cox role. And, um, and I wow. said, oh, well, you know, and they're like, like, would you ever be interested in coming to work for us? And, uh, and after discussions, I was like, I, I, got, I can't turn this down. This is a dream job to go work for SIG. And um, that was the time right before we won the DOD pistol contract. That was before, um, you know, we've gotten all these great successes. So we came in and I was a part of this great team. I was, you know, got hired by Navy SEAL. We had a Delta Force guy in there, several Ranger Regiment guys within the defense team. So like I said, I still felt like I was in the military working for this company with the, uh, the culture, wow. the drive, the team yeah. atmosphere. And then, uh, and then it just takes off, you know, not because I'm there, but just because of the team that the CEO has assembled, there's just all these high performers. And it just like right now, if, if my son, he wants to go into the army, which is an honor, you know, he's only 10, but he will be carrying a SIG, yeah. whether it be a pistol or a rifle or a machine gun uh, here in the future. And that's all, from one company. And so being a part of that makes it makes it worthwhile being able to uh, work for a company that has that much impact on the world and national security. I, I know how incredible those guns are. Um, I also recognize just how far you've gone in SIG, how fast you've gone that far in SIG. Wow, it's incredible. You're representing the Department of Defense, Department of State, the law, federal law enforcement right now. Man, you're representing a lot of Capitol Hill for SIG as a vice president. And holy smokes, that is a lot of work. That's a lot of responsibility. But man, to be, to, to be where you are right now at this point, it's incredible. Um, I... I just had to do a little bit of research on the numbers right before we started this uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. Just the pistol contract with Department of Defense, more than one half a billion dollars with a B, just that one contract. We're not talking about the rest of the big government agencies and you're kind of representing all of them now, is that right? 
That's right. So I came in to help out with business development on the defense side. And then we started to get more strategically involved. And so we realized that we need someone to engage, like you said, these these bigger entities, Capitol Hill, State Department, uh, federal law enforcement, even NATO now, um, you know, overseas. And so we created, they essentially created this role called Vice President of Government Affairs. And that's the role that I'm, I'm filling now. But it's, it's, you know, it's making sure there's enough appropriations for defense budgeting. Make sure that, uh, you know, I just came back from a European trip, you know, talking about how, you know, with Russia coming and you know, over into Europe, we need to make sure we have a combined front with our interoperability yeah. with guns and ammunition and everything. So we're trying to make sure they get the newest guns that are being built by SIG for the U.S. military. Um, and so I, it's a little bit of everything, which is which is great. I mean, I, no no one day is the same. And so you know, I'm shooting in the morning, then I'm doing you know events at nighttime. It's like a James Bond life, really? but it's it, it's got a purpose to it, you know. Yeah. So it's just um, and unlike you know, unlike the military, you know, you you know, you're going to get promoted every two years and everything. But in the business world, you know, especially at Sig, they recognize people, they're promoting them. And making sure that the best person is yeah. in that role, and so it's just it just really worked out. And I think a lot of it is based on my Capitol Hill experience working at the Pentagon. So that fellowship has really positioned me oh, yeah. now to help out help out the warfighter, but also help out Sig as well. It's all it's all symbiote, you know, with with that with that role. Well, when you're talking about uh, pistol range in the morning, champagne and black ties uh, affairs <laughs> at night, man, it does sound like James Bond. But just tell me, Bobby, that they gave you like a 10% commission on some of those contracts. Tell me that they gave you like $500 million on that contract, you know, that, that you, some of those big contracts that you helped negotiate. Well, uh, I wish they did. I mean, I would be in a different spot now. But like I said, it's like the military, you know, they do give us bonuses, which is good. But um, our CEO is, I mean, he's like a, he's like a Ranger regiment commander. He's like, you know, we won the, the pistol competition. We popped some champagne. He's like, great guy. Now well done. On to the, on the, on the next, next mission. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's sure. time. So, yeah. Well, now the listener, at this point, the listener is starting to catch a consistent theme here. You were in the army and your career took off like a rocket. You go to SIG, your career takes off like a rocket. I want to go now to your first campaign for the U.S. or for the congressional seat in the South Carolina legislature. I don't know if you remember this, but I sent you a text message and said, Bobby, if I lived in South Carolina in your district, I would <laughs> vote for you. And it's because I know you as a man and a father and a warrior and a follower of Jesus as much as a leader and a patriot. Um, so I know it must have been at least a little bit scary when you try to run that first campaign for the 21st district in South Carolina, what was, what did that feel like? So after leaving the Capitol Hill assignment, I really got the political bug because I knew that, you know, I, I could do a good job in that role, you know, with the experience I've gotten, the leadership. And so I was really focused on the federal level for a while, but then once I moved back to South Carolina, I started getting involved in the community you know, a lot of us are, you know, we're kind of focused on yeah. the federal level, but so much happens on the city, county, state level that are immediate impact to families. Um, and, you know, and Capitol Hill is very gridlocked right now. You know, they don't get a lot done. Um, it's a very important role, but they just don't get a lot done where we're down the county and the state level. 
they're making votes and making decisions that are immediately yeah. affecting their constituents. And so I, Josh and I were talking about it and I really felt the burden of like, hey, I have the flexibility with SIG, with my role, the experience in the Army and, you know, the credibility of, like you said, the assignments I've done to bring that and really make an impact now for our community. And so it was really focused on the state level. And um, it was nerve wracking because, you know, you know, coming back as an Army Ranger to my community, it was like, okay, I have immediate respect. Yeah. But I'm going to put myself out there yeah. potentially to get beat in an election, and that would lose the credibility there. So there was, I, I prayed about it. I examined it like any operation. I said, I can do this. Like, I can win this, you know, if I just put the effort and time into it. And so uh, I don't know if you, you probably saw the typical way that I announced no. the uh, the ass assignment was yeah. I'm like, tell everybody how you like, made hey, the I'm announcement because <laughs> I think it was perfect. It's perfect. Um, so being an airborne ranger, you know, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to jump, I'm going to skydive and jump into, into my politics. Heck yeah. Skydive. Yep. Use the dad joke. Then I'm jumping into politics, you know? <laughs> and so on veterans day, um, I assembled all these people, didn't tell them what I was going to do. And, uh, skydived with this local, um, retired special forces team, you know, so we had a multiple, you know, skydivers coming in and landed and it, it just, it just resonated. I mean, it was just, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to bring bold leadership to our yeah. state. You know, the, we, we, we get, we can't have the same old type of, you know, politicians serving us. So let's, let, you know, let me bring my experience and make a difference here. And, um, and the voters gave confidence in me. I ended up beating an incumbent, um, 63%. Wow. Um, and so, so immediately rolled in with immediate credibility of winning with a landslide and then hit the ground running in the state house and it just have not looked back and it's just been um it's been good and i i, I tell you i like i said i jumped in on veterans day and i dedicated my campaign to veterans and their yeah. families because i'm like i'm only here because of all the people that have served with me and if you know the ncos the officers they took time to develop me and the families like yeah. my family and, and veterans families so i'm like so this is this is what i'm dedicating my my uh, campaign to and so it really resonated with people it really did i hope the listeners getting this mental image of you skydiving into the political arena just a couple of months ago i had a chance to interview a friend of mine congress u.s congressman um, barry loudermilk i love the guy oh, yeah. i've only known barry since he's been in the political arena both in the georgia legislature and now at the Capitol Hill. So all I've known is Barry in politics, but I've had the privilege of getting to know you since you almost started your career in the army. And one of the reasons why I sent that message to you when you first got serious about this congressional seat in the South Carolina legislature is because I know the kind of man that you are. You made a statement, in fact, right before we started recording this about why it's important to serve in your state and in your community and there are a lot of people, let's be honest, that enter politics because of the ego or because of the attention that it brings to them. But you're not that way, man. So what was your real goal in serving in the uh, in, in entering into the political arena and putting yourself out there for intense scrutiny, even at the state level? Yeah, it's um, it's a lot. You know, and I, you know, anytime you put your name on a ballot you know, you're, you're raising your profile for, like you said, that, that criticism that, you know, um, you're not going to make everybody happy. So I go, you know, so, but 
when we moved back, we made this decision to, con to continue to serve. You know, we want to continue to give back to a community that's done so much for us. And we really felt the burden. We had the, the opportunity, the resources, the time to do it. And I, and I told Jocelyn, and she, she was just ready to have a quiet life, to move back here, <laughs> and you, set up roots. You absolutely ruined any chance of that, right? <laughs> and I just told her, and we were sitting in my office here discussing it. And I said, hey, I said, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. And we need people with the experience that we have to make an impact. And so uh, we, I just felt the burden and she realized that, you know, we have to give back and, I, and I'm really doing it for my kids yeah. because, you know, my daughter's going to be 14 this weekend. Uh, my son's 10 and they have known nothing but service about our yeah. time in the army and then the time serving our state. And so that is like why I went to the army, seeing all my family members serving. It's a legacy that will be passed on to them to inspire where, you know, they just don't take things for granted. They have to give yeah. back and they have to serve. And so it's another extenuating opportunity. It's another season of service, the way I look at it, where, you know, like you said, a lot of people stay in office forever because it's their identity. Yeah. Where I look at it, where this is a phase that I have the opportunity, the experience, and the, the resources to do it. It's just another phase of service and a stage of life where I'm going to give as much as I can and then I'll go serve somewhere else either higher levels or not at all, or, you know, going back to just focus on the community and church. And so, um, and God has rewarded that. You really, I've been very successful in the state house with the bills we've passed. And that's all because of the experience in the army and my family being able to uh, support me in doing that. You're yeah. describing right now, countless conversations that I've had at the dinner table with our family when they were young. And I said the same thing to them, guys, uh, we've been, privileged to live in this country. What an incredible blessing that most of the rest of the world over human history will never even be able to grasp and do something. Doesn't have to be the military, doesn't have to be politics, but do something to give back to a society that has given so much to you. Find a way to serve. And I'm very proud of our children. All of them have found a way to serve and to make a difference. Um, but for the last 15 years, Bobby, I have been telling people, uh, uh, friends of mine like you, I've been challenging them to do the exact same thing that you've done. I actually started doing this literally about 15 years ago. We were right in the middle at the, you know, at the apex of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And some of those mid-level officers that I had the privilege of working with, that you worked with, I noticed these guys and gals are so smart, so talented, so competent, and they have given so much of themselves. They really need to be running the states of the United States, or they need to be running the government of the United States. And I started challenging them. Would you guys please, when you take the uniform off, would you guys and gals please run for office? And if I am able to, I will vote for you because I've seen the kind of character that you have, the kind of people that you are, not what you've been able to accomplish. And Bobby, when I sent that message to you, man, I meant every word of it. Like, I, I am very, very proud that you continue to serve and make life better for the people of the state of South Carolina um, by what you're doing now. It's um, It's been an honor, to, you know, I tell people, Serving in the state house has been a great honor. Almost, you know, you know, besides leading men and women into combat, it's been it's been one of the greatest honors I've had. And um, 
it's just a season of service which you know I, I may not do it forever but while i'm here i'm gonna make as, as much effort and contributions that i can and it's been working out it's been taking those army values and the ranger creed and carrying them over into the state house and getting some good stuff done that's really needed to get done and um it's been uh it's been a good run i was just so. thinking some of those words as you were talking you are truly given 100 percent and then some to every job that you've ever done at sig in the army <laughs> And now in the South Carolina house, um, you mentioned just a second ago, I'm just going to put you on the spot, man. Um, people are saying this guy's army career took off like a rocket. He, his career at SIG took off like a rocket. Now he's in politics. Is that going to take off like a rocket too? So <laughs> what's next for you, man? What do you hope is on the horizon for you? Yeah, well, just like previously, you know, a lot of guys have like a five, 10 year plan when it comes to politics or like, oh, I'm going to be governor by this time or senator. But I've always approached the the aspect of political service like like an army job. So like if, you know, you keep working on higher levels, make as much impact as you can. Um, I'm ready to, to serve on higher levels um, if the opportunity presents itself because I can make more of a bigger impact, you know, on that. And so, you know, we'll see about you know, um, what comes up available. I'm always done it where I'm going to knock it out of the park with the position that yeah, I'm in now. Absolutely. Uh, um, so keep doing that. And then if the opportunity comes available, always be ready to, you know, to seize the moment to, you know, impact as much as I can. So I would, I would welcome serving on higher levels of office um, if the opportunity was there uh, because you can just make more of a, a larger yeah. impact, you know? I'm, so it's, um, I'm just going to shamelessly tell all of the listeners from South Carolina, you just heard it from him directly. You need to really just get behind any, uh, you know, whatever the next <laughs> level is for Congressman yeah. Cox. Because, um, man, I, I have been so impressed by everything that I've seen you do over the years from time in the, in, on the active component to serving at SIG and all of the impact that you're making in the big government agencies to what you're doing right now at the state. And I personally selfishly hope that you get the chance to serve at the national level and at the highest levels one day, because I think that much of you, man, it is uh, no, this, no. this conversation with you, first of all, just catching up with an old friend is something that I've been looking forward to, but just being able to say Same. a couple of things to you that I haven't had a chance to say to you since we last served in the army together. Uh, man, this is something that I've been looking forward to for some time. Me as well. I mean, like I said before, and one of your heroes asked you to come on to a podcast, you got to do it, you know? And so we just, even though we haven't talked in years, I've always considered you a close friend and a mentor. And so just hearing, hearing that opinion of me from you means a lot. I mean, it, it, and, it, and it motivates me and it's, it challenges me too, yeah. to still, you know, to, uh, you know, continue to give that 110% and then some, you know? Well, so, um, but thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Tuck this away in the back of your mind, whatever uh, <laughs> political uh, office you're, you're looking for next. If I can do something to stand by your side or else, or to just uh, let everybody who has the chance to vote for you know what I think about you, I'm down for it just because of my respect for you, man. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate and it. And thank so. you for taking a little bit of your time. This extremely busy schedule that you have with home and SIG and politics and the Army Reserves. Thank you for carving yeah. out an hour of that insane schedule to be with me on this podcast, yeah. man. No, it's my honor. Anytime. Anytime you need me as well, I'm, I'm there. So thank you, Jeff.
Bobby's simple one piece of advice, everyone can do that. And I'm convinced that if you will follow that one piece of advice, you will be successful no matter what line of work you're in. Here's the advice again. Just be a good dude. Just be a good gal. Take care of your people. Give it everything that you've got. Do your best and be a good person. And chances are somebody's going to notice along the way. Yeah, there's going to be some ups and there'll probably be some downs. But over the long term, maybe you will be as successful as my friend Bobby Cox and his wife Jocelyn have been over the years. Thank you, Bobby, for reminding us how simple the advice is. It's simple to understand, but really hard to do sometimes. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode. I hope you really, really enjoyed it, my conversation with my old friend. But if you are catching this broadcast for the first time, like if you just stumbled across this podcast, why don't you go ahead and subscribe? You can follow us on all of the prominent podcast platforms, or you can always just subscribe and follow us on YouTube. We do the video version of this podcast there. But I want you to know, we also have a very large, very engaged social media audience. There's some amazing people that are connected on all of our social media channels. If you're looking for us on social media, just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. And one of the people that you're going to find while you're there is our fan of the week this week, a guy by the name of Nick Kilday. Nick, I just wanted to point you out and tell you how awesome you are. I wanted the rest of the unbeatable audience to know how awesome you are. And I also just want to let you know, the whole audience know about our unbeatable army email list. These are the people that I send content to, not just about guests, but about stuff that's going on in the unbeatable uh, world. And if you want to become part of the Unbeatable Army, it's totally free. Just sign up by going to unbeatablearmy.com. I'm going to stop talking now so that you can go through the rest of your week and follow this simple piece of advice from Congressman Cox. Go be a good dude. Go be a good gal. And things, hopefully, will start to take care of themselves and you will be unbeatable too. See you next time.